0: What I've noticed is that there is a big gap between the leaders and the laggards. Andrew McAfee of MIT observed this a while back saying, we're actually seeing the leading edge of the pack taking advantage of this, these changes and getting much farther down the road because technology is this force multiplier. Um, and if they have a culture that takes advantage of it, then they're, they're continuing applying that force multiplier to change and getting way out ahead of everybody else. Uh, I still see there's this big cohort in the back. Mm. Um, I hear about them. When I, I was just talking to an internet pro- intranet professional uh, who's working for mid-sized companies. And stuff you and I talk about is, is foreign. You know? mm. um, so it, it's interesting. We're, you know, we, we, we've yeah. got to figure out how to bring everybody along.
1: Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people that are impacting the new digital worlds where we all work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So events seem to be, I think the word is that people are using is quite fluid at the moment. Um, And I had a recording uh, arranged with Dion Hinchcliffe, one of the um, gurus of the digital workplace, really. Um, Dion's a powerful thinker around technology, work, employee experience. and, And he does a set of predictions each year about the digital workplace. And so do I. And so we arranged to do the interview, um, I don't know, probably a couple of months ago. And the idea was that we would do a sort of compare and contrast. What are we each saying? What are the similarities? What are the differences? Um, And then the coronavirus started to gather steam and we recorded today's episode kind of in a period where europe and north america um are really adjusting very rapidly to a an uncertain situation and on a work level it's affecting work deeply and so we thought was the thing were the things in our predictions that actually spoke to what's happening and the answer is i think Yes, to some extent. And we also just talked about, well, what do we think the longer term implications are of this virus led change in work moving to what I'd call distributed working, uh, which I feel is a fundamentally more resilient form of working. So um, that's a bit of a chit chat from Dion and I at the beginning about that, and we get into some material about that, and then we talk about our predictions for 2020. So I'm delighted to be joined by Dion Hinchcliffe. Um, Dion, many of our listeners will know, is an internationally recognized digital thought leader, business strategist, enterprise architect. He's widely regarded as an influential figure in digital workplace customer experience and experience IT. vp and principal analyst at constellation research dion is well known on the industry circuit and i won't kind of list all of your achievements dion because we'll probably take up quite a bit of the podcast but
0: um thank you very much paul great to be here
1: so so where this conversation came from is that every uh for the last hmm, i think seven years i've done annual predictions on what's going to happen in the digital workplace. And you have also done predictions, 2020 predictions for the future work. And I I read them with a lot of interest and and admiration. And I thought, actually, this is really interesting. And why not have a conversation um, about our predictions, a sort of compare and contrast. And then in between us agreeing to do this and the date of the recording happening today um we've all obviously seen the effect of the coronavirus and the effect that it's having on a surge in remote working and and really a kind of view on working itself and how we work and and i teased you and said that um we didn't predict this and in a way nobody predicted this how could we but but let's just start off by getting this new prediction let's let's see if you and i can do a sort of prediction on the fly what does this um moment in in healthcare and 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 the way we work what's your prediction um as to what this is going to mean for us
0: I think this is uh, going to spur a lot of the organizational uh, changes, uh, the um, workplace changes that you and I have long talked about. And I know you've actually been a passionate advocate of remote work for a long time, Paul. And, and uh, I've always thought that work was becoming ever more diffuse anyway, right? The, the boundaries uh, of it in so many ways were enlarging and changing and blurring, right? And we're gonna see an acceleration of that um, throughout the year, I, I see a tremendous amount of interest in in making people now productive. Instead of it being a afterthought, uh, an add-on, I now see uh, remote work um, and, and other new ways, similar new ways of working becoming a primary way of working in most organizations. That's a, an enormous change. It's going to be spurred by global events that are taking place uh, right now. That's mm, my prediction.
1: Yeah, and, and it's obviously happening differently in different regions a because the virus has been um working in a in different it doesn't care where you are um but but also different cultures respond in a different way and one of the things that i found interesting is watching um cultures that are really not um Tending towards this way of working, and you could argue that it's been more established in in, in Northern Europe and and North America for for quite a while now. Um, but actually, in in parts of Asia, um, obviously in China, Japan, etc., this is not a typical way of working. And and so one of the things I've been noticing is is how it's affecting the way people work. And they've not chosen to work like this, they're sort of being required to work like this. And I I, I wonder what you think that the kind of long-term impacts of that might be. Will they sort of flip back to where they were before, or is this a sort of opening to a different way of working, even in cultures that typically not worked in that way?
0: Well, I mean, I think that's a good point. Um, And I've actually uh, been fortunate enough to be involved in a a number of large global digital and social enterprise um, strategies and rollouts where I got to see actually how those strategies were effective. And uh, what I learned from this uh, slightly earlier in my career that was enormously useful to me was um, that that very overused saying, uh, culture eats strategy for lunch, is very, very true. And for example, rolling on enterprise social network globally does not really mean that you're going to have the same thing happen in every country that you roll out to. We found even places like Asia, Japan is very different than Korea in terms of their culture and what, how, they, how they will treat open collaboration. Um, putting together people from India and Russia, which have very different attitudes towards work and towards expression and what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Um, it creates a a, a a cultural collision as well. So what a lot of these tools do is they bring together people much more easily. So much more easily that people that weren't normally likely to communicate are now being connected um, in a much more sustained way in you know high definition video and. Um, in uh, uh, collaborative uh, situations where there's just a lot more information sharing. And culture clashes are going to be one major outcome of all of this, and we're going to have to work through that. Right, It's going to hold back, actually, a lot of this uh, in some parts of the world, as you say, um, North America. But I would say North America is so big that there's actually – different bands inside you, mm-hmm. know? you go to the midwest and this is much less lucky in the midwest than it is going to be mm. uh, on the coast for example uh, but yes the cultural issues are going to are, are going to um hold back adoption and complicate it but you know and i tend to be an, an optimist and a, and a progressive in terms of how much technology changes sometimes you know i'm right and sometimes i'm not but um i believe that uh uh, it's going to shift the cultures as well. I mean, this mm. event is big enough. I think that, uh, you know, although some would argue that Asian cultures are so, their their cultures are so entrenched, it, it may not. Mm. Um, but I've never seen a country shut down like China has. I mean, that's that's amazing.
1: No, and then, and then the question is, I mean, you've got these very sort of strange effects like huge reductions in pollution. I mean, and I, I you know, I've been, slightly kind of banging on about the fact that people should be reducing travel somewhat and increasing remote and, um, as we kind of call it.
0: I was reviewing your predictions and my predictions, and I think you could argue that we were actually saying it without saying it, you know. Oh, right. Explicitly, yep. right? I mean, you were saying some things like that, and I was saying that work's going to become far more flexible and adaptive. Um but, you know, without knowing you know, uh, what was going to happen. Right. So, you know, I, yeah. I mean, we can give ourselves partial credit. I think.
1: <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think that's that that's right. And I do think, you know, you've got the alignment, I think, also with climate change, um, the economics around it. And, and I see it as a kind of business resiliency issue that if you're going to have a distributed um, supply chain so that you can function if one particular factory in one particular location is not functioning, you, you need to have a distributed work chain so that, you know, it. it you know, so many organizations are finding themselves, as, as we both know, on the back foot trying to work out how to rapidly increase ways of working because that's not a norm. And I could see these sort of almost two kind of tier systems as like a sort of you can drive one way or you can drive another way depending on what's required and it shouldn't be as difficult as it, as it has been to to kind of fire things up and and introduce new ways of working but um um it's 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 sort of what one level it, i think it's definitely going to accelerate i think the question is um what's the new normal going to look like and i and you know we're recording this in March 2020. We at the, at the moment, we don't know, but I would say that there will be at least a an increase in remote or distributed working and a reduction in physical working. And I don't know, uh, or co-located physical working, but I don't know whether it'll be dramatic or, you know, incremental and, and, and so on.
0: Um, I think we can go on the record and saying it's going to be dramatic. I mean, I, I don't know what it's uh, like in the UK, but. For example, all the high tech companies—Apple, Amazon, uh, Microsoft, um, Facebook—have already have mandatory work from home policies until further notice, right? Um, mm. Mm. Uh, and yeah, you, know, you know, so many other uh, companies are too. And that's unprecedented. Just like you know, uh, China shutting down its entire economy essentially is unprecedented. Mm. Um, these are what's the outcome of these? We don't know how in- lasting, impactful. Um, mm. It just all we know is right now is unprecedented, right? So Yeah.
1: There's a there's a quote that's always stayed with me, which I, I, I sort of quote back at different times and Timothy Leary, who is the Harvard professor, um, sort of LSD guru of the sixties and and he said, and this was in the nineties, he said, In the future physical meetings will become sacred sacred and take on mythical importance and and i'm not saying that we get to that point but i think what he was saying is that we really need to teach to treat those moments when we physically connect with each other as as having a particular value and and importance to them and not treat them as a sort of like a a, a something we can just use whenever we feel like it and i think that I think is is probably an ethic that will carry on. I also think um, in, with my prediction mindset on is that I think work's going to become more local. I, it'll still be globally connected, but a lot more in local teams. And one of the things I like the idea is, and you can't do it, while the virus is kind of happening, but the idea that you could work more locally, but with your colleagues in sort of co-locations. So, you know, you're maybe not traveling to center of the city every time, you're you're traveling closer to where you live, but with other colleagues who were who there.
0: I think that right now, I would think we can still say that meeting in person, there is no replacement for it. There is no true technology analog for it. And, um, Someday I think there will be, but we 're we're probably still ten or twenty years out from that, so right now that's that's dull I think in my mm. mind somewhat sacred so yeah
1: yeah, and I suppose just just thinking on that is that it's a question of what's what's the frequency of that in order to get the the, the kind of value from it um, but you know i I think organizations will experiment they 'll discover things as you say, you know once you 've got companies that are not typically working in this way doing that um uh you know for the first time is going to change things so um i'm i'm picking up on some of the predictions that we we wrote um uh, at the end of last year uh, where we have some differences or distinctions um can you talk about the one on IT and HR coming together in a partnership to create as you put it a genuine and more effective employee experience vision strategy and operations what what do you, what do you mean by IT and HR coming together
0: so uh, I've had this strange uh, schizophrenic experience o- over my career uh, because I've done the digital workplace for a long time and that sometimes it's sponsored by the HR group and sometimes it's sponsored by the IT group. And the IT group was, wants to roll out a bunch of technology and, and throw it over the wall and not really think about the human dimension, the training component, the change management, the skill building. Um, and if you go over to the HR side, they don't want to talk about digital tooling at all. Um, they want to talk about um, cognitive uh, overload. They want to talk about uh, you know workplace work effectiveness. They want to talk about learning and development. So it's, it's weird they they're, they're both concerned about the same domain, but they're worried about very different things. And so it was a few years ago I, I began to uh, really say I only work on a project if both the CIO and the CHRO were sponsored because you can't change the technology without trying to help the people to change to match to take advantage of of its capabilities, right? Because Technologies do enable all new possibilities, but unless you are you are providing that, that that skill building and that mindset and a culture shift, um, you really don't get the big advantages. You get very actually very small incremental gains. It's worth doing often, but not always. Um, and I was frustrated because the groups rarely wanted to come together. But I, I mostly did get the sponsors, uh, and it became easier and easier over the years. And um, now I'm actually seeing much more. With this whole discussion on employee experience, there's now a unifying concept. IT is actually kind of interested in employee experience; they're part of it, and HR is really ex- interested in employee experience; they're part of it. Uh, and then, and because they're now looking at the same picture for 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 the first time, um, even though it's a Venn diagram, they're not exactly overlapping. Um, I now see this much. For this kind of broad discussion, where these we're having, I'm having a lot of HR people showing up at my IT discussions, and a lot of IT people showing up at my HR discussions. I never saw before, so I believe that's the data. That's the data for me. The anecdotal data that uh, this is starting to happen.
1: Yeah, and I I definitely have seen that as well. Um, You know, I think the rise of what you might call digital HR, um, and the idea that there's a realization that technology needs to feed into people's experiences of work i think you know also within that area you can see facilities and workplace involved in it as well um so i i i i like that and i think it's 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 a long overdue one um now and the next one is i'm not sure if this is a difference or just a kind of nuance but you but you say fragmented and disjointed digital workplaces and um there are lots of those uh, will be recast by best in class employers into more integrated organized and streamlined experiences um could you say a little bit more about that and 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 who who is who is best in class
0: oh yeah no no I'd love to love to take my shot at that um so it's actually a really important topic uh we are creating an overly complicated uh workplace on the digital side the tools and channels um, the applications are proliferating and they're, they're by and large providing value they're needed they do you know everything is becoming automated everything is becoming infused with technology uh, but at the same time I also see because of the work I do on the HR side the, the onboarding time of an employee uh, in, a, in a highly knowledge managed workforce um, is gone from two months to four months before they become effective. The attrition rate because of the complexity of the uh, and badly broken digital workplace. Um, You you wouldn't be surprised at how many organizations I've run into where they've either told me outright or it's essentially obvious that um, I mean, I actually had a CHRO tell me this once that uh, it is so difficult in this large organization to fix the broken digital employee experience that they just pay more for for, um, employees. They say, We pay more, 20% more than everybody else. So, it's easier and cheaper for us to deal with it that way. They stay and work with bad tools rather than leaving, right? Because <laughs> we see in call centers now. The average call center uh, worker has to use, learn and use 27 applications, different applications to use their job with all of their own training and own user experience and way of working. And, and uh, that's way up from a, uh, a few years ago when I was doing call center uh, workplace design. And, there the attrition rate is terrible. It takes two months to onboard a call center worker to, to full effectiveness, and they only stay six months because it's a horrible way to work. Right? It's just mm-hmm. it, it's just trying to get trying to get through the systems to get how many times you've been on a phone uh, on hold of the customer service representative saying, "I'm just waiting for the computer. I'm going to yeah. need to get, get a contact someone to help me with this." You know. Mm-hmm. So um, that we're now seeing a, a lot of movement on the product side. Uh, finally. Product companies are actually understanding what the real problem is, is they've, uh, and they're creating solutions that are aimed at creating more integrated digital workplaces. And so the best-in-class example is actually Accenture, uh, because they're very project-centric, have some of the smartest people on the planet working there on very complicated projects and problems. Um, they, need, they need the technology to get out of their way, right? That, you know, That's usually the definition of some, a technology's reached maturity when it's almost no longer visible. It just gets out of the way and does its magic, right? Mm. And their their goal was to do that for the digital workplace. So, uh, that was Andrew Wilson, the CIO's number one priority, and I've tracked his his progress on this over the years. Is to say, I want to take the top 100 most important moments, not just in the in the in the company's uh, life, but in the worker's life too. That could be maternity leave, right? Uh, it could be having a child, or it could be staffing a project, right? Or it could be uh, recruiting a team. Uh, um, I mean, uh, uh, managing that and delivering that project, and so. Uh, that's what he did. Is he built lightweight experiences for those top one hundred moments? I was, and as his number one goal to say, we're going to make the, the most important things we do easy with the best practices built in, so you don't have to cobble the experience together yourself out of twelve different applications. It's just one seamless experience, and that rise of low code tools that make this very easy uh, is now here. Right? We can actually anyone can do this uh, if they know that to, to solve for this problem. Right? So. Um, and uh, it's a great great example uh, and they published quite a bit about it so it's worth uh, going Ooh. to study that and that's what we're seeing that is the beginning of very beginning of that yeah
1: yeah and i and i think that idea and we've seen it on the customer experience side haven't we you know identifying what are the what are the the, the top whatever number it is things that people do when they're when they're trying to interact with with an organization and, and and improving the experience around those, um, I mean I think American Express on a enterprise side as well as an, uh, as, a, as a customer side you know is, is another really good example and I suppose the current um, yeah the current sort of um, uh, surge in, in in remote working is probably going to reveal some of the strengths and weaknesses. I've heard about quite a few projects being accelerated in terms of intranet collaboration rollout, Teams rollout, um, more use of Zoom technologies. And I suppose that's probably going to, um, you know, have an effect as well.
0: Well, it's interesting. I I have conversations with people uh, in in less exciting parts of the world and in smaller companies. And there's still this view of the internet as this, as the place for the communications team to put all of their content. And they mm. don't want any, they turn all the comments off and um, they take all the tools out. Um, what I've noticed is that there is a big gap between the leaders and the laggards. Yeah, Andrew McAfee of MIT observed this a while back saying, we're actually seeing the leading edge of the pack, taking advantage of this these changes and getting much farther down the road because technology is this force multiplier. Um and if they have a culture that takes advantage of it, then they're they're continuing applying that force multiplier to change and they're getting way out ahead of everybody else. Uh, I still see there's this big cohort in the back. Mm. Um, I hear about them. When I, I was just talking to an internet pro- internet professional uh, who's working for mid-sized companies, and stuff you and I talk about is is foreign. You know, mm. um, so it, it's interesting. You know, we, we we've yeah. got to figure out how to bring everybody along.
1: Yeah. Um, and then the other prediction you made um, that caught my eye was an, an, an better management of shadow IT. So, I mean, shadow IT has been this sort of guerrilla activity inside organizations going on. It kind of must be for a decade now. Um, but you, you see that it's getting better managed. And what, what, what are your sort of indications? Of I that? see
0: that it's becoming higher profile. Um, it used to be when I, when I suggested uh, to CIOs, and I do talk to a lot of CIOs, i uh, very fortunate in that regard, that uh, I used to challenge them maybe two, three years ago saying, well, shadow IT is really, it's a service gap that you have. Um, it's something you're either not responding well enough or you're not making them aware enough that there is a solution uh, or whatever. There's something, some shortfall that they're feeling the need to spend their own money as opposed to the company's money to do this. Um, And I said, don't you look at this as as an opportunity to learn and as an innovation pool to say, well, maybe this is a better solution. We should look at it. And and there was general resistance two or three years ago. I've been taking this to CIOs uh, uh, all over, both at events and uh, online this year, and I'm getting a very different response. So Mm -hmm. that was why I put that prediction in. Um, It's still not something to think about. It's like it's not actively managed and governed, which is why it's the problem, right? Um, and, And uh, but I am now seeing this interest this year, is saying we've well, got to look at it differently. So the activity, the execution, isn't there, but the mindset shift has suddenly happened. That uh, because it's now such a big, it's half of half of the technology spend in most organizations is is on that, is on either shadow or, or you know, uh, done you know without, despite IT saying you shouldn't do that. It, uh, you know, it's actually out in the open, right? So. Um- Yes. so uh, i uh, so I've been having online conversations and I think that uh, we're seeing the mindset shift that will then lead to action I hope that
1: starting
0: later this year next year
1: and then and then this is a great one you 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 said new sourcing models for talent such as gig economy um, for the enterprise will continue to take market share enabling better personalization of work life while giving organization powerful new options for hiring um just talk a little bit more about that
0: so I see a broader shift in 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 less long term loyalty to your specific employer and more to uh, the things that enable you to have the, your career so it's not even directly your career that that people are so committed to. I see that it, you know if you if you work on open source projects, for example you, you are not necessarily even being paid for it in money I mean you're not uh, generally uh, unless your employer is paying for it. Um, uh, but people are trying to be part of things larger than themselves, and they can work in very, very new and novel ways. Uh, gig economy is something I'm actively tracking. I've added it to my coverage area uh, uh, this year because I'm seeing such interest in it, uh, especially on the IT side, because uh, they're used to working kind of inside these collab- digital collaborative platforms. They're used to like an open source projects. Anyone can anyone in the world can walk in and start just pull up a seat and start contributing, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. Anyone can participate, uh, and it creates more value that way. So I, I see you know, some forms of crowdsourcing. We, you know, we talk about things like uh, uh, techniques like working out loud, which you know, openly narrating work and allowing people to to review it and collaborate with you on it, Anybody who thinks they're a stakeholder. So uh, the gig economy is uh, on a sharp uptick um, in that it's not like uber where they're taking advantage of people these are these are professional workers that can build the lifestyle they want uh working for multiple employers on the projects they most like they have much more control over where and when they work um that's you know what we're talking about this one of the reasons i said work's going to become much more flexible including you'll have multiple employers at the same time multiple projects uh, and you'll be far more skilled much more fresher and when you don't want to do it anymore, it's not like you're losing your job. You're still on the platform, right? So, mm.
1: and it, it kind of comes up for me is this whole idea of of business resilience, which I've been thinking about as a you know based on our conversation earlier, um, and that actually if you've got that more adaptable way of of earning a living and 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 so on, you become less reliant on you know whether that particular organization you're employed by is wants to keep you doesn't want to keep you etc and and there's a kind of resilience that comes and i'm seeing this particularly in people in their sort of 20s where they have you know what charles handy called the portfolio um approach you know there's different things that provide different parts of their kind of income you know it comes with a kind of fragility and a, or a, as well um so it's sort of both gives you lots of options but on the other hand um can feel quite fragile as well but i think it's 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 an interesting tra- trend um so uh hopefully you've read my predictions um which which ones um caught your attention and and, and, and please don't say sort of none of them actually <laughs>
0: <laughs> i don't know I, why well, i really like your predictions when you were talking about it earlier I, I wanted to say well i always read them every year and i always find them very thought-provoking so mm, um, the um, prediction eight in particular the analytics um will, will measurement and insights will reveal hidden patterns in how work happens um i see that i mean you know you look at uh what Microsoft is doing with uh, its uh, workplace analytics product—it's you know—it's turned into a multi-billion-dollar product uh, because we now have—I mean, if you if you if you as a company have, have broadly adopted um, Office 365, which is what I'm seeing—I'm seeing Microsoft just winning the whole company in, in, some, mm. in many large organizations. But it creates an opportunity, and by the way, this is a new conversation that's happening. Is and we won't have time to cover in this podcast is. Uh, that you know vendor lock-in is good for the fo- because it enables the following thing uh, if ever, if, you're, if everyone's using office 365 then most of their work is now can be analyzed and and measured and mm. can be used to, to help and mentor and guide uh, and performance uh, um, aid that employee if 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 it's appropriate now uh, there's complicated so many complications uh, and potential for misuse of the data and the, and the fact that it's illegal in some countries like Germany but all of those are, I think, surmountable. Um, yeah, we're we're about to, you know, uh, Director Famously said, "You can't manage what you're not measuring, or you don't measure. You simply cannot do it." Mm-hmm. Uh, and we infrequently and badly measure the the human dimension of work, and that that's going to change. So I think your prediction is spot on. The tools are now good enough. The environments are now instrumented enough. Uh, now the next thing is to just make people understand. It's so the people part that will lag, like everything else um getting them to understand they can do this and it and it can and amazing things should come out of us and and if you look at some of the early case studies are coming out of it
1: you know let's face it it was um i think the 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 adoption of 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 ipads was kind of precipitated after senior teams were given ipads, and all of a sudden they went this is great, actually this could work for the company, and i think maybe um it's you know, there's there's obviously huge environmental pressures on companies. And I fundamentally think that companies should be reducing their air travel by 5% a year, just year on year. So increase the things you do virtually 5%, reduce your air travel and other travel by 5%. Not enough to, you know, notice a big, huge difference. Um, uh, but I think that kind of that that coming together could be um quite significant um so i am intrigued um uh the way your mind thinks and operates and and you know you and i've got quite sort of different styles i think but what tell me what's your what's your process of coming up with your predictions
0: so um i like to think that i'm a relatively rational thinker as i think most of us do uh so what i try to do and who knows how how it all actually works but what i try to do is i I put my ear to the ground for data so that it could be the anecdotal data that I was talking to, uh, earlier, uh, you know, I suddenly see, uh, a bunch of people out on social media talking about things that never before saw, I never before saw together. I go, well, that could be something. Um, and, uh, I look for research data, um, uh, and, uh, uh, industry trends, um, and I try to figure out well if I extrapolate that forward, what would it mean to this? What would that trend trend mean for this particular problem? Like another example is five G is going to hit in a big way this year. That um, actually could help us with a lot of the remote working, right? Uh, but also, uh, it's it, it going to make uh, all the it's going to be put in all the connected devices, which are the least secure devices we have right now, right? Consumer smartphones mm-hmm. are much more hardened than, than internet of things connected you know devices like your home doorbell or whatnot. they're just trying to ship those things to market they don't have big, big security departments um, uh, dedicated to working mm-hmm. on securing those devices Well, 5g is going to amplify all the problems with that so i try to look for that trying to say well if i take this thing that's going to be big this year and i look at this thing over here how's that going to affect it and so that's a lot of uh, and i think that came out a lot in hopefully in some of the Things that i said is you know i, I saw this either by I, I always when i go into a company i always ask to walk around and see what people how are people working go, do you mm. mind i just want to go on the floor i want to just i won't bother anybody i just want to see what they're doing at their desktop right i want to do what they're doing in their cubicle mm. and i always learn from that so things like that
1: no it's it's interesting because you know i i tend to um just keep a, a sort of rolling note so I, I've got three or four potential predictions for 2021. And I, I, I sort of, a bit like you, I, I kind of look for evidence of things. And then I try to have a kind of mixture of, of different things. I'm interested, just before we come to the end, to, to know what do you think of my super predictions, as I grandly called it this year, which was that organisations continue to restructure spurred on in part through digital workplace innovation and that my my sort of theory there is that organizations are still structured mostly for an industrial age um and and that actually they there needs to be quite radical restructuring going on
0: yep i'm, I'm on record saying the same thing and i, and I also predict uh so I, one I, I i violently agree uh is the timing is the big question uh, yeah. We're reaching the, the, the diminishing returns of what we can do organized the way we are because uh, like cu- customer experience is fundamentally broken across 50 different touch points because we're dis- or, organized the wrong way. We're organized in industrial functional silos optimized for efficiency as opposed to, they have to be optimized for innovation and integration mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the, the, the three top-level organizing principles are going to be customer experience, employee experience, and supplier experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be organized. to will have a, a chief officer for each one of those, and maybe a CEO, right? And uh, because until uh, so you have it rolling up to somebody that no one is no nobody's actually in charge of customer experience because it can't be because it's broken up into all those silos. Who will, they'll never the CMO will never let you take marketing, uh, the the you know the head of uh, delivery to the customer, the COO, will never let you take what they're doing. So there's so many vested interests, and so I, I I've predicted this for about five years now, same thing that there's big org changes, but there's tremendous entrenched resistance to it. There's no proof that it is the right answer um, mm-hmm. except i've except I've found some i mean there is indications, but when will the world move there and you know um uh, and what's interesting, if you look at the top leading companies, i've I've looked at how they're organized. If you look at how uh, an Amazon is organized uh, versus mm-hmm. an Apple, which are both arguably tremendously successful companies with trillion dollar valuations. and they're markedly different than other people, but they're different, very different from each other. So sure, there's multiple answers. So we yeah. um we have to figure this out. It's the, it is the challenge of our challenge it'll take us ten or twenty years to work through.
1: yeah, yeah, and i th- I think that um. I think part of the problem is, particularly for large organisations, trying to restructure themselves is such a huge task. Whereas if you're a smaller organisation, newer, it becomes a lot easier to adapt. Um, and well, you uh,
0: saw t- Tony Shay, d- Tony Shea, you know, did it. There's an example uh, of that. You know, founder and CEO of Zappos. Took yeah. the company into a holacracy and and received tremendous criticism for it. Which I, I I'm like, why? It's, he's being incredibly brave, and arguably it was this is a successful experiment. Except nobody wants to hear that they all have to go through this change, so they, they don't <laughs> even want to entertain yeah.
1: it. Yeah, don't tell us about your great success because then we'll well, you know, we haven't got any excuses left.
0: Well, so, and, and uh, Zappos remains number one in their industry anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: and um, so um, anything that you'd like to to add, Dion.
0: Um, so, so I think this is an opportunity for folks, all of you that are listening, that when things are changing, when change begins to happen on a large scale, right? So the world is being changed right now by the operating conditions, you know, imposed by the coronavirus. That's the chance to ride the coattails of change and and make other changes happen. And so I've been Using this opportunity to say, now is the time that people are looking for answers to their problem. All these things we're talking about—larger organization changes, culture change around remote work, remote working—you um, uh, know, getting understanding—we can now manage and, and uh, serve our workers so much better through data analytics. These are the things that we can. People are looking for changes that they need to be making to adapt better. Now is your time to suggest that this is a, a tremendous wave that we ca- we can all ride for good. And so I said, that would be my closing thought. That's what we need to do. This is a time to activate and take advantage of the changes that are going to happen and make the best things happen that we can.
1: Yeah. And and, and sort of eating my own words, I I described that this next, this decade that we've just kind of got into should be called the decade of courage. And it's a time for courage. That doesn't mean it's easy. But I think it's a time for big heart. And in a way, I didn't, you know, uh, and it's it's I think you're right when things are shifting. um, I think, you know, if you look at the the environmental, the financial and now the business resilience, healthcare uh, side of it, this is a chance to really step step forward into this new way of working whatever that looks for you and it will differ as you say by organization and it might even differ regionally within your organization but it's a time it's a time to be courageous because i think sort of timidity is not going to win well, it's been fantastic having the conversation with you, Dion. And, and I'm, I'm really gl- glad that we've been able to get some kind of contemporary um, events into our story. And hopefully that will be useful and interesting to people listening. And thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for having me.
1: Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise for more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.